Почему они поют такую песню? Чтоб напомнить, что дед его был дракона Богцем. Welcome to Media Evil, a medieval pop culture podcast, where we talk about how medieval and medieval-inspired movies, TV, and books depict the medieval world. What do they get right? What do they get wrong? And what do they tell us about how modern people see the medieval past? I'm Sarah Ifdecker, a medieval historian, and today I'll be talking about the Russian film I Am Dragon with guest Christine Fredrickson. Hi, Christine. Hi, how are you? I'm good. So... Would you like to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and about why you selected this particular movie? Sure. I am not, I don't have any formal training in anything medieval or anything like that. Growing up, I always really liked fantasy books, read tons of them. So I always kind of had an interest in the time period and liked movies like Lord of the Rings and some of those. Mm -hmm. This was a movie that someone in... Um, an online uh, group I'm in found, and they said, well, it has subtitles, but it looks like it's about a woman having sex with a dragon. Does anyone want to watch this? So I said, of course I do. Okay. Um, and so I think like five of us all like coordinated a time to sit at the same time and watch it and just message back and forth while we watched it. And uh, I actually enjoyed it a lot more than I expected to. I will sometimes watch things because they're good, bad, or funny how bad they are, like the recent Cats movie. Uh, but this I actually enjoyed, so I was I was surprised by that, and so it's sort of been on my radar as something that would be fun to talk about, but that I'm not taking away like from someone who's knowledgeable because it's all made up, you know. And I don't want to take away like the Lord of the Rings episode from someone who's a bigger fan and being like, no one's heard of this. I can, you know, I don't have to be like appropriately dedicated. I can say what I want about it. So, yeah. You probably have more opinions about this movie than most Americans, at least. Right. They've never heard of yeah. it, so I'm sad. I'm the yeah, authority so in the room, honestly, because I've seen it twice now. Exactly. <laughs> so we're, yeah, bringing, bringing knowledge to uh, the people about this movie. Mm -hmm. So it came out in 2015. I Am Dragon is the English title. Mm -hmm. The Russian title apparently just translates to He's a Dragon. Mm -hmm. And I looked on IMDb because it's always fun for foreign language films to see what they come up with. Most oh, yeah. of them are I am Dragon or just the word Dragon. But Germany's was Dragon hyphen Love is a Scary Tale. Um, and then the other one I really liked was France's, which is The Dragon Inside Me. Uh, That's very much what I would guess France would come up right. with. Right, and that reminded me of um, like the old Arrested Development when Tobias had the man inside me, and there was all this <laughs> sort of 
innuendo in it of that he was secretly gay but wasn't coming out, but it, the wording just in his writing was very clear. So I thought that was a funny wording of like, is it talking about him or her? Like, they're going to have sex. Who's the talking okay. side? So I, I thought that was just an interesting uh, title. And I guess their tagline officially was, love is a fairy tale. So with a T-A-L-E, not T-A-I-L, but I mean, that's I was going to say, yeah, it could have gone either, yeah. though I assume that pun does not necessarily work in Russian. That's true. It's probably pretty earnest. Right. <laughs> this is based on a novel uh, called The Ritual by uh, Marina and Sergei Chachenko, who uh, I am not familiar with. Apparently some of their books have been translated into English, so I don't think this one has. Okay. And it stars, uh, uh, I apologize to any listeners who actually know Russian. If I am butchering names here, uh, this is not one of my research languages. But uh, Maria Poezaiva as uh, Mira, who was born in 1989. I checked this because I thought in this movie she looked like she was 14. Mm -hmm. But she was not. She was in her mid-20s. And then Matvey Likov as uh, Arman, a man who looks so much like Robert Pattinson. (laughs) I really, I don't think he does, but he definitely plays that role in the movie. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's part because there are similarities in the role, but it's also that at some point just, I don't know, maybe it's not exactly his physical appearance, but just something about... His expression, I I feel like. Yeah. Like, oh, I want to eat you, and I'm not in control, but, oh, man, it's hard being a man-dragon vampire. Yeah, and so maybe that's what it is. Yeah. But just at some point, I was like, who does this remind me of? And then I'm like, Robert Pattinson. Mm-hmm. That's who this person reminds me of. There you have it. Yeah. So the first main section, the enumeratio section, is where we'll have a recap and just kind of general discussion of the film. So a brief recap to just orient us. In a land that had once been plagued by dragons who stole women, Miroslava, the daughter of the Duke, is about to marry Igor, the grandson of the dragon slayer. They think that singing the old ritual song is a great idea, and this summons a dragon who takes Mira to an island. She is accompanied there only by a mysterious man with no name to whom she gives the name Armand. Armand, as it turns out, is the dragon in human form who is desperately trying to live as a man and control the dragon inside him. Igor comes to rescue her, but as only a man who is loved by a woman on the island can reach it, he is unable to find the island since Mira is falling in love with Armand. However, out of fear of Armand's dragon self, she leaves the island. About to marry Igor, she realizes that she does not love him, which makes sense because increasingly he's awful, and sings the ritual song to summon Armand. By showing him no fear, she enables him to stay in control as a dragon. We end with the couple living happily on the island with their young daughter and Mira flying on the back of her dragon husband. Wow. That's that's the movie. Yeah. I thought one thing, um, the first time I watched it, I wasn't clear on. And the second time I figured out, because I was trying to figure out why are they singing this song if, like, historically this makes dragons come, like, steal brides before they can even get married? Like, why, why how are you guys burying children? Why is everyone not dead? And, like, it's not just a bunch of old men that, like, like, well, I was going to get married, and I sung a song, and now my wife is eaten by a dragon. But they said that they only did it because it's the grandson, and they don't do that for anyone else's right. marriages. But the first time, I was like, this doesn't make any sense. So I guess the dad must have already been married before the 
Bran dad killed the dragon, otherwise the guy would not have a kid, because his wife would have been, like, scooped up, too. I'm a little unclear as to exactly how the system worked originally. There's clearly some situation where they, there are these women who they sing this ritual song and that summons a dragon and then the dragon comes and gets them. Right. It can't be all women when they get married or they would have completely died out. Yeah, they said like, oh, because they asked, why are we singing this song for a wedding? And then they said, oh, well, it's an honor because his granddad was the dragon slayer. Yeah, I don't know when right. they did it normally. I don't know if it was like summer solstice, let's kill a woman, or if it was, you know, once every 10 years, or, you know, w when that happened originally. It wasn't super clear, I agree. Yeah, so my guess is that it's something like there's some amount of times per year or something, or once a year, whatever it is, that, yeah, they, they have some women that they kill. Yeah, you know. And they have them. It's like the, like, Viking funeral type boat thing where they're like right. laying in it and they're just like well I'll just lay in the canoe and either my husband will pull me across an entire lake by a rope and then get me out of the boat or a dragon will eat me but I feel like there's just so much chance you're going to get splashed or you're going to get wet it's snowing like how many people would just get sick from yeah. that you know yeah I would not want to have that as just a way to get married no. it sounds awful and you know like it had the sides are up so she couldn't see anything she could just see the sky yeah. So the whole time you're just like laying there like, I wonder how close I am to the shore. Can I look up? Am I close? No, no, I can't look up. There's a whole thing. I would be so stressed out. I feel like we'd be yeah. claustrophobic. Oh, yeah, no, it sounds so anxiety-producing and weird. Yeah. I don't know how yeah. they got all those people to go lay in the boats when the dragon did come every time. Maybe they tied them up. Right, and we do see some of the women who are being basically sacrificed to the dragon. Yeah. And uh, that at least, a like, it seems like a couple of them are actually weirdly chill about it, but at least one is protesting. Yeah. So it's it's a weird dynamic. Yeah, and it feel, they make it sound so long ago, but then they're like, oh yeah, it was his grandfather. So it was like, so this was like, what, 40, 50 years ago. You guys just very recently right. stopped regular human sacrifice. Like, right. recently. So that was a little bit new. But yeah, I really like this yeah. movie a lot. I I liked that when she was on the island, she was trying to convince Armand to help her leave and escape the dragon and kept calling him a coward. Yeah. Like, well, help me. Like, there's driftwood. We'll make a boat. Like, let's figure out what to do here. And then as she's getting to know him, she throughout is asking him things and finding ways to continue to kind of send flares for help. Like, she gets him right. to show her, like, he, he mentions that he can see the wind moving, and she asks him to show her, and he sends up a bunch of, like, flower petals, and that's supposed to be all romantic, but it's also like, oh, wow, there's a huge thing of flower petals in the sky, maybe this will help someone rescue me, and then later she's like, I want to see the winds, let's make a kite, and then she sends it off, and she's like, well, maybe someone will rescue me, and then again later, she, uh, what was the third thing? Oh, the fireworks, she has him do fireworks. Right. And by then she's kind of falling for him, but she's really doing her best to, like, get out of the situation. Because when he starts to turn into a dragon, he just yes, kind very of... very active. Yeah, and he kind of lights on fire. So even if she likes him, it's kind of like, I might just get burned to death by laying near you when you, like, turn into a dragon. So... Right. And also, every time she touches him, that sets off the dragon-ness. Right. 
Yeah, and I, I really liked that that was, uh, I mean, because they end up revealing that the whole way that they dragons reproduce is they take a woman and lay her on, like, a special, like, stone thing, and then they burn her to death, and then from the ashes... Great, great method comes, of reproduction. Like, yeah, comes a little baby dragon kid, which we don't really know if there's girl dragon kids or not. It only references, like, he just uses the male, you know, pronoun when he references his dad right. and, like, my ancestors. But, like, so that's basically, like, if he starts to get turned on because he touches anyone, he's replacing sperm with fire. Like, that's how he's just right. essentially ejaculating fire on to a woman until she dies. And then that causes the reproduction. His DNA is getting in there somehow. Like, it's just, like, magical fire right. ejaculate all over. Yeah, which is extremely disturbing. <laughs> right! Like, I mean, method of honestly, even if you didn't die in the process, like, that's... I wouldn't agree to that. I'd be asking for, you know, let's, let's see other people. I'm not sure if I were her, I would have wanted to risk ultimately like having penetrative sex with this man to be honest right. i think i would have been worried but yeah. she apparently does right yeah they managed to have a kid and she's not on fire or dead so yeah yeah so i guess it works out i guess that is why love is a scary, scary tale honestly but i yeah i was taking kept, a lot of risks yeah, here i kept waiting for her to actually like have sex with an azure dragon or like in the sky or something and it never happens and it was a little bit disappointing like, not that I, that was yeah. something that I would personally find attractive, more just, like, I, it would just be so bizarre. Like, it'd be like, oh, right, like have the courage of your convictions. Yeah. yeah. Like, let's just go for it. The dragon inside you. Come on. Yeah, we, we want to see the dragon inside you. I mean, do we, but. Yeah. But, yeah, I ultimately really liked that she had a lot of uh, agency, and she was being very intelligent the whole time. And then, ultimately, she made her own choice in the end of what she wanted. Although it seems like yeah. they were still pretty isolated, which is a bummer. Like, if he can control being a dragon, yeah. why doesn't he just go live in the town? And, like, she's just like, oh, uh, never mind. This guy killed the dragon. Don't worry about it. And then, like, never <laughs> seen a dragon again. Anyway. So my theory about that is that standing up in the middle of your wedding and yelling, no, I love the dragon, <laughs> is, like, completely, like, wrecking your reputation in this village forever. And honestly, the biggest surprise is that her dad is so chill about this. Yeah. He's like, cool, I guess that's what you want. I'm happy for you, daughter. <laughs> While he's just, like, standing there. And it's like, I feel like you should be more concerned about this as a parent. Right. Like, go love, but, like, he's not the same species. And the last time he was within two feet of her, like, she almost burned to death. So there's, there's a right. level of realism here that we need to have about how this relationship would turn out. Right. And dragons have been taking women from their town and murdering them only about 50 years ago, I assume at least once a year. Right. And so I think also, I think the amount of prejudice that he would face and yeah. that both of them would probably face and their kid in this village is intense. That's true. And you know what? I wonder if they take people from other villages, too. Because Armand is yeah. not... He does not appear to be 50. So right. he was birthed... Either he was birthed more recently, or he ages very slowly. I don't really know. Like, the dragon yeah. just gets bigger and bigger for thousands of years until they turn as big as the island? Like, I, I don't... I mean, not that they have to right. really know all that, but... Uh, the timeline didn't quite add up. I wonder if there's... What if there's just another island that he's been taking women from? But he's like, oh, no, I would never oh. take them from your islands. 
I don't think he was, but that would be an interesting twist. Yeah. Yeah, I was assuming that it was the same because the stories about the dragon slayers seemed yeah. like they lined up, so I was assuming dragons just don't age at the same rate as humans. That's probably it. Just like Edward. It's all coming together. Just like Edward. <laughs> and then they've got this weird kid. Right? I Yeah! I also liked that um, he was... He did not, he didn't really want to be a dragon, and with that he didn't want to kill people, even though he'd always lived, like, in isolation. Like, he was like, I'm not just gonna go, like, scoot people and murder them. He chose, like, to basically be alone and be, like, right. you know, a little monk in solitude. Not, I'm now misrepresenting monks, I apologize. This is not the right audience for it. But, uh, <laughs> you know, but he's living in this, like, complete solitude and celibacy and instead of risking hurting someone. So I did like that about him, of, like, he really didn't want to hurt someone as far as like a take on the Beauty and the Beast type story versus right. uh, you came and you took a flower so I'm going to like imprison you forever like it was not that type of situation but then the that one song like makes him turn to eleven and Right, and it's also, it really is, the movie really is about his journey toward finding a greater humanity, and there's this whole bit where she carves this wood flute-like thing and gives it to him, and he then plays the flute basically as a way to stop himself from turning into a dragon, mm -hmm. and to kind of keep his humanity, he, like, uses this flute, which I think is really interesting as, like, both a strategy but also the sign of how much he wants this. Right. Well, and there's all this philosophy of, like, art being so intrinsic to what makes humans unique or that, you know, right. that kind of thought. So that was a cool thing. And, I mean, his own desire and willingness to change and to be in control. Like, he's demonstrating yeah. wanting to improve himself, wanting to be different, and actively taking, taking steps to do that versus just being like, well, she fell in love with me even though I kidnapped people. You know? Right. Like, he's, yeah. he's more likable. And he's more, he's more likable, too, because he was isolated and lonely. But he's still like, yeah. I'd take you back if, like, I wouldn't, like, my, I could fly and let you. And then finally he's like, I'm going to, like, trap myself, like, under, like, a boulder or whatever he did. So I can't stop you from leaving. Yeah. I want to just let you go. But before that, it's not like he was forcing it either. It's just the Beauty and the Beast story. It's like, no, until then, like, you're trapped. She just, they just finally came up with a plan of, like, oh, he'll actually find the islands. You can actually go get to him now. Like, take your chance. This is the first chance you've had for me. Yeah, and the other thing that I like about this is compared with the Beauty and the Beast narrative, in addition to the obvious, like, Stockholm kind of stuff about Beauty and the Beast, mm -hmm. is that that also tends to have an element of uh, her, or a, a real emphasis on her changing him. Yeah. And I liked this, that she obviously plays an important role, mm -hmm. but it's very much about the fact that he's also working on himself yeah. in a really deep way throughout. Mm -hmm. That it's like, yeah, so it's like less of the like woman changing the man, man narrative. It's like maybe the woman's like helpful and kind of an inspiration, but also he's going to therapy. Yeah, exactly. And she ultimately is making her own choices. She's not stuck with him. And she doesn't just immediately like give up either. But yeah, he, he definitely was a much more likable character. And it was more just someone needed to come along that wasn't afraid of him to be like, hey, have you heard of music? Like, hey, have you heard of like having a conversation or friendship? his dad sounded like he was awful. He just, like, was flying around being a dragon all the time, but he did anything with him. And then he, like, learns yeah. to make puppets and has, like, puppet shows, and he, like, communicates through oh, art, nice. which is really cool. 
and it's just a really pretty movie. I really it is, yeah. The puppets everything. are gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and also he actually notes that like it's the puppets that basically make him change his mind because initially like his dad's the only person he knows, and he's mm-hmm. like, I want to be like my dad, so that means I guess being a dragon, and then because he like comes across these puppets and I think starts making his own as well, he then decides not to become a dragon. And the one thing that's interesting about his dad is that his dad's like clearly a little disappointed, but you can't force somebody to become a dragon. So his dad's Mm -hmm. like kind of chill about it. And that's like the one nice thing that we can say about his dad who has murdered multiple women. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that. They managed to find all of these like, really great like a whole merchant ship of like fine silks and dresses like apparently crashed against the island but none of it ever floated away at any point because they go down to like Uh, like, hey there's some like shipwreck let's see if there's anything good and they completely do up the whole place and it's gorgeous it's really fun to see like them dancing around with new dresses and like decorating and like making his house a home and you know her kind of yeah it's really pretty and it's She's kind of making peace with things, but the whole time she's still planning, if I can get out and I can see my family again, how am I going to do that? So, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, it's very impressive that all of the textiles stayed in such good shape, despite <laughs> being, yes. like, in shipwrecks. Mm-hmm. So, that's also nice. There also is, like, that, uh, I mean, so there's, like, that scene with uh, him and the flower petals which totally looks like it's like a music video of uh-huh. some kind like there's like the dramatic swelling music as you see like him and his like bare chest and the flower petals yes. it's like a really interesting visual he does have a bare chest quite a bit of the time yeah I can confirm like that. pretty much almost all the time yeah. yes as he should obviously yeah I like too that it's made clear like she felt obligated to marry the um, Igor, her bridegroom, because he was the grandson of the dragon slayer, but then, yeah. like, he doesn't love her, she doesn't love him, and he, it seems like he's kind of greedy about it, like, it's not necessary, like, because he wants to be the duke. Yeah. So you do get to see, like, he was gonna give up looking for her, and then he's like, no, I'm not gonna slay the dragon, it's fine, let's just go back, which she's happy about, but, like, he's not, he's not brave, you know, he's not truly a hero. Yeah, I mean, he's just doing it out of, like, cowardice and laziness, as mm-hmm. opposed to anything else. Yeah. yeah. And then when she says, oh, I love the dragon, the dragon comes, he tries to shoot it to stop her from leaving. And it's like, no, the dragon and her, like, they're gonna go hang out. Like, don't make her, like, fall to her death right now. Like, don't be a dick about this. You know? Right. Also, he's got this one attendant who it's sort of half-heartedly implied at a couple of points is actually in love with Mira's sister, Yaroslava. Oh, um, yeah. And that they might have a thing for each other. And he, when Igor is about to try to shoot the dragon, he, like, stops him and punches him in the face. Yes. It's like, so that's, that's fun. Yeah, really, I mean, you know, being supportive. There was um, one thing I like, one of the, the first lines that they had, I thought were pretty funny. Like, it was trying to be dramatic, but it was just, it didn't, it was visually very pretty, but the wording didn't work for me. And I don't yeah. know if this is more successful in another language, obviously with it being right. like a translation. But the first line, like one of the first lines is uh, talking about like where everyone's sad and it's snowy, like when they're just like, you know, feeding people dragons and stuff before they're like, maybe we should stop doing that. But like how they describe it is they had eye or they had tears where their eyes should have been. They had fear where their hearts should have yeah. been. They had death where the sky should have been. And, I mean, they still have eyes, like, 
Yeah, it's it's a little. It just feels like a lot. Like it feels yeah. just a little like over dramatic. Yeah, it didn't quite earn that, especially with like it being a more kind of lighthearted, like romantic movie. Like opening with that, it's yeah. Like, okay, you can calm down. It's fine. Right. But I, I, I did kind of laugh at that, and then was expecting it to be a much worse movie. But then like, yeah, oh, they just kind of like they just tried a little too hard here. But then they like actually delivered like a really enjoyable uh, movie throughout that. Yeah, and I will say definitely, like, there were definitely moments for me where things about the dialogue didn't quite hit, but I don't know how many of those are translation issues. Right, definitely the dialogue itself was the weakest, but they... Yeah. I feel like they they did a decent job acting it. Like, you you felt like people did like each other, and, you know... Yeah. um, It was just really pretty. Like, I really like all the decorations. It was wonderful. And there's a creepy pet the whole time. Yes. I think you called it a lemur. Yes, I started describing this in my original notes as I was taking it as the upsetting lemur. Yeah. Because um. it, like, maybe was going to eat her first off, and then he's like, maybe just don't eat this girl. I might hang with her. Right. Well, I think he tells her, like, don't throw a rot when when he, when she first, like, basically hears him as this disembodied voice and doesn't yet know he's the dragon. Mm-hmm. He says, no, don't throw a rock at it. Like, just lie there and be still. And then the upsetting lemur kind of comes over and smells her and then is, like, and then, like, runs off. But, like, she has to expose her throat to it. He's like, turn yeah, your head down. I mean, this is pretty severe. I would not do that. Like, there, we have to draw a line here. Strange voice yeah. coming through the side of the cave. Like, I don't right? know who you are. Right. <laughs> And that's actually one of the ways that she figures out that he's the dragon mm-hmm. is because the upsetting lemur obeys him mm-hmm. and is clearly, like, his pet. And so she's like, wait, like, you're not just another captive here. Right. You're you're something different. Mm-hmm. And we also then have a lot of, like, transformation with the upsetting lemur, which can which is indicated in my notes as I stopped calling it the upsetting lemur. And I think at some point I called it the upset lemur. Yes. Because- <laughs> Um, because the lemur, it's, uh, so great, it's great when they're doing the redecorating that she has to teach the lemur that it can't run on the carpet, <laughs> which is very relatable to everyone who has ever had pets, mm-hmm. that you have, like, things that you maybe don't want your, like, pet to, like, be on top of or something like that, and then you have to, like, struggle with that mm-hmm. because they're not on board. And the lemur also discovers that she's got, like, a go bag, and starts going through it, and she has to explain to the lemur, like, oh, I really don't want to have to go, but I am afraid about him turning into a dragon and killing me. Right. And the lemur's like, hmm. And then the lemur's very sad when she leaves. Mm-hmm. And, uh, is, and she actually says to the lemur, don't come after me. Stay. You're the only thing that Armand has, mm-hmm. which is so sweet. Yeah. It was. It was very endearing. I hated it up until that moment. Like, it's mm-hmm. just, like, the big yellow eyes. I was like, no, you sniffed her throat earlier. Like, you, yeah. Like, you keep back. But, you know, it turned out to be a nice lemur in the end. Yeah, and at the end, also, they have this kid. The lemur loves this kid mm-hmm. so much. Like, in fact, like, the lemur babysits. Yeah, like, what a great gig. You're just, like, here. Yeah. Have a dragon fruit, the main fruit on this island that's literally made of the body of a dead dragon. <laughs> Yeah, no, so I, the, the lemur really grew on me. Oh, yeah. There's as, a turning as a part point. Of this film. Yeah. Yeah, I, for sure. Yeah, I wanted to make a note about the kid, mm-hmm. too. So they have this kid, we assume eventually produced by normal human 
biological reproductive means. Mm -hmm. And the reveal of the kid is interesting because so we see basically so that Mira comes back with the dragon. She like jumps up in the middle of her wedding and she sings the ritual song and the dragon comes and gets her. And then she indicates to the dragon that she's not afraid of him and she touches him and then he starts like nuzzling her in dragon form, mm-hmm. which is very cute because I guess that's the dream. She doesn't actually fuck the dragon. The dream is to have like a hot guy, but then who also is a cool pet dragon. Mm-hmm. It'd kind of be like dating someone that, like, can turn to a plane. You know, you're like, look, let's get anywhere we need to go. It's really like, there's, like, the Fifty Shades of Grey and all that stuff of, like, oh, my gosh, he's rich, he's got a plane, he's got this, he has a helicopter. That's really what she's getting here. She's getting a guy that there's no competition because he's alone, like, on, like, a big rock. And, like, she can travel now whenever she wants. No questions asked. It's like the blend between that and love on a leash because she also basically has like a pet. Yes. But which is also her husband. Yeah. You know, why not? It's just bigger than a golden retriever. Yeah. But it seems like at the end there, I mean, based on the very, very end, which is where I really thought we were going to see some like full on sex was like, she's like, Oh kid, I love you. Hey neighbor, let's babysit. And then she like runs out. And she, like, jumps into the air, and then she's, like, riding the dragon. And so they're just, like, cruising around the sky having a grand old time. But I was expecting, like, them to, like, have sex in midair, and then, like, him to transform before, like, they hit the ground. Something like that. Right. Or, like, just, or not even sex, but just, like, a really intense makeout session of, like, oh, we're going to, yeah. like, really, like, you know, we have to kind of escalate. This is our kink now. Like, we really, we're these adrenaline junkies. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, look how much I trust you. This is what we do now. Which I thought would have been kind of exciting. And then, like, you know, they swoop out. But uh, she just kind of, like, hops and then it's like, oh, no, it's cool. He's a dragon. Like, we're just going to go have a ride. So I was hoping that that was going to get a little bit more intense before he transformed. And it didn't. Yeah. But that was an exciting moment for me. My interpretation also is definitely that, because she says something about wanting to travel. So my interpretation is definitely... Mm-hmm that she climbs on him and then they go to like Paris for a weekend oh, yeah. while the lemur's babysitting and then they just like he like turns into a human like right as they land and they mm-hmm. like land maybe a little bit outside the city like you know if you're like on like a Ryanair flight and uh, then you go on in and uh, then you just like chill in Paris for a weekend and then he like dragons on up and you go home oh yeah it's exactly like having a private plane but he gets a really good workout too exactly I think you have to account for weather more, though, you know? You don't want to be flying on yeah. a dragon in, like, the hail. True. Yeah, yeah, they probably stay home more in the winter. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they go to, like, warmer climates because they're in, like, fake Russia or something. Yeah, so. it's, it was filmed in Bulgaria but appears to be set in okay. Russia, like, based off the names and some of those things. And I mean, that just being, like, the language we're speaking. Right. And I think the authors of the original novel, I believe, are Ukrainian, but usually write in Russian, if I'm remembering correctly. Got it. I'm sure you're right about that. Because I never looked it up. So you're more right than I am. There, there was something, there was something related to that that I think they do not actually consider themselves Russian exactly, but I think they write in Russian. Yeah. Okay. So then as far as this whole, like, the dragon being, like, a sexual awakening thing, you had had in your notes um, that it was, like, both of their first time, like, it was his first time kidnapping a woman, and it was her and first time. And also flying time. away flying. from the island, I think, yeah. Oh, okay. 
<laughs> I interpreted your note as like, oh my god, it's my first time kidnapping a woman. Like, this is so great. We're bonding together. This is my first time being kidnapped. But the flying thing makes more sense and is less, a little bit less creepy. Yeah, I was reading it as flying instead of kidnapping. Because he's like, I guess he's flown before, but I don't think he's really flown away from the island. And it seems like he even tries to basically trap himself when he turns into a dragon. So he's not even flying around, like, near the island, necessarily. Right, because he doesn't want to hurt anyone and he can't control it. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I was like, wow, you're really on board with this piece of their, like, oh my gosh, the shared moment we had with kidnapping. (laughs) So, I yeah, mean, so it's more like the flying. It's like, okay, we get it. The, the flying, it's like an orgasm. It's fine. Right. Well, and then that's kind of like at the end, he's no longer afraid of his sexuality. And she's not like, yeah. like, okay, I feel safe with you. We can finally just do it. And then he can control his dragon right. from then on, you know? Then he can fly solo. He can, you know, so yep. it's really like this, like, you know, maybe, you know, raised in the suppressive But he can't environment. fly solo. No. Because of the patriarchy. <laughs> exactly. Which is why in the future we invent machines like planes and dildos to help with these yep. <laughs> The downfall of the patriarchy. Exactly. No, but yeah, I thought that, that was nice. an interesting extension of that of like, you know, oh, well now I'm not afraid of you as a dragon, so I can touch you whenever I want. And he's like, well, I'm not going to like afraid I'm going to eat you as a dragon so I can actually enjoy this without, like, losing my full head and, like, having no sentience anymore. But, so here was the right. alternate. When I saw it the second time, this was my alternate interpretation. or th- Not interpretation, because it's obviously not, obviously not true. It's a happy ending. But in the back of my mind, I thought, what if they can't reproduce normally? And this is actually, like, a love story about her. Like, the Stockholm Syndrome is real, and she has become, like, that... Um, when a kidnapper kidnaps someone and they end up like falling for them and help them, like they could right. have just oh, kidnapped, God, kidnapped this, like, a different old. woman. No, they could have kidnapped a woman and burned her oh. together, and th- so that oh, kid's God. not related to her. And this is like their adopted child. So that's oh. the alternate. If you wanna, if you just put some horror m- music over the ends, and then just saying, like, it turned out he couldn't create children the normal way, so we had to go. We had to go find someone to help us. You know, like. That could have been the alternate. Oh, God. <laughs> and then they're like, oh, I wish we had another child. I wish we had a son. And then they go like, kidnap another woman. Maybe someone that was rude to her back when she was, like, living with the rest of the people. And then She just, needs to not be that into her sister. Uh, I'm a little worried about her. Yeah, she could be if they, like, want a third kid. They're like, you know what? She had it terrible. Because it seems, I mean, they're talking about all these dragon attacks, like, as this, it's like kind of a thing, but then it seems like there's only you know there's only one kid produced from it. So I wonder how often like they're shooting right. planks or if they just die young because they don't fly. And he's like, "You're supposed to be a dragon, like go jump off this cliff." And then like, has he had like forty kids before he just goes flat and never turns into a dragon? You know. Yeah, that's true. I yeah, I'm curious about how that works. Or I I was wondering if there's actually more islands with other dragons somewhere that yeah. at some point somebody might have to worry about. That's true. Like, cuz I think that happens with like male lions, right? Mm-hmm. That they like take off and do their own thing. Mhm. I was wondering if dragons were like that and there's another dragon who has an island that like has a different cluster of villages that he murders women in. Right. Although I guess that this based on it seeming to be a species gene that can only like pass from male to male because of the means of reproduction i guess there would be no women dragons 
which is interesting because since they then produce, we assume, uh, you know, through sex in a normal human way, they then they have a daughter. Which I think is our proof that my horror story version didn't happen because they right. produced a daughter. So I think that's our, our way to know for sure that it's not like some creepy kidnapping role. And they're actually right. just banging. Yeah, but then can the daughter turn into a dragon? Right. When she grows we up? don't know. We don't know if she'll be and the first. And if so, yeah, and if so, could she reproduce by murdering men? Ooh. <laughs> what would be, because it would be, I guess, would she, like, eat them? Because he's spitting right? fire out of his mouth. So they're using the mouth as, like, the sex organ instead yeah. of using a genital region. So she would have to eat them. So she could eat men and then it would still unfortunately have to go through childbirth, which seems vaguely unfair. Well, but... maybe she'd vomit out uh, uh, egg. Because it's yeah. all happening up here. I was just saying right. that they're, they're, That's serving <laughs> as the, the reproductive region, at least for the male dragon. So she would eat a right. man and then spit out his bones, you know, clean up after. And then a few weeks later, then she'd spit out an egg belly. Yeah. And then just sit on it. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe that's going to be the sequel. We'll have to see. It's been a few years. <laughs> I hope they have one. I would love to yeah. find it. I wonder if there's a sequel to the book, and now that I'm aware that it's a book. I'm going to look that up yeah. after this, I think, and find out. Yeah. I also love that the little kid totally asks her dad, where do dragon babies come from? Yeah. And this dude, you can tell that he's isolated from civilization, and no one's ever taught him anything about parenting. Mm-hmm. Because he starts, but he's like, well, so there used to be this creepy ritual, and then, and then Mira shows up and is like, she's nice about it, but you can tell she's kind of like, so you're not about to tell our daughter about, A, a bunch of women being murdered, or B, like, fully explain sex to a three-year-old, right? You're not going to do those things? Okay. Yeah, honey, let's just go on a flight real quick. The lemur can explain sex. It's fine. The lemur is probably who's going to get tasked with doing the sex talk for, yeah. uh, for this poor kid. Really just put it off as long as possible. And then, does she say dragon babies? She doesn't just say where babies from. She asks where dragon babies I think are she from. says dragon babies or baby dragons oh, or something. Okay. So then that's that, like, are these two whole different conversations now? Right. Like, why is she making that distinction? Is she like, you are other than me, father? Or, you know, mother is other, she is the human? Right, which is interesting also, because she's, I mean, she's never met anybody else as far as we know, either human or dragon. Unless she goes on these weekend getaways with them. Right. Which, I'm sure she at least will when she's older. She, if I were them, I maybe wouldn't take her now, because I feel like she wouldn't be good at not telling people, like, I'm a dragon. That's true. I was thinking just falling, but yeah. If she survived the flight, then she would just totally mouth out and tell everyone about it. Yeah, I assume that if they were flying with her, they'd, like, baby Bjorn her. That's a good point. They probably just wouldn't be like, (laughs) hope your arms are strong, kid. (laughs) Oh, no, it did start by a dragon dad being like, like, what? Maybe that's, like, their fifth kid and they lost (laughs) the first four. Like, well, we've got time. Let's go have sex again. I mean, they do have, like, the whole thing was, like, oh, the dragon, like, just falls off the cliff. And he's like, ah, dang, I'm a dragon. So, I mean, that could be, right. like, that is kind of the baby bird. Like, you just shove him out the nest and be like, deal with it. Right, yeah, which is actually, which is, I mean, you said this before, like, it raises the question, like, if you, like, what happens if you don't turn? Yeah. Like, does that happen? Which probably it does, because it, that's how, like, you know, birds stay strong is they, like, push them out and then the weakest genes don't get carried on. Yeah. So. so yeah. So maybe there are all the like maybe that is why they kept they needed like a lot of women. Is that 
we don't have any idea how many there are total. Like, it's not impossible that basically he is only getting them, like, every, like, ten years or something. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, overall, I really did enjoy the movie quite a bit. Yeah, I really, I was really also expecting it to be kind of Mm good-bad. And it's a really sweet movie. Like, it's a nice love story in a way that I did not expect. And I normally am not, like, you know, you said earlier, like, oh, the woman having to fix the man and, you know, essentially stay in an abusive situation and if you're not, if you're good enough, he'll stop hitting you. But it really didn't play it that way. And he did, he did initiate, like, his own change and she more just inspired him of, like, oh, there's a reason to live, not just, like, you know, right. bury myself under a boulder so I don't hate people, I can actually enjoy my life. And then he had kind of his own process of growing it. Can I wonder, can you hear my dog yawning? Is that going to come Yes. Out? Oh, I you're going to be famous. Podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Congratulations, Mama. Yeah, I really like that. I, I actually, this inspired me to watch a bunch of other movies that are like remakes of Beauty and the Beast or like similar type. Right. I found a list on Letterboxd, and it was called um, Women and the Monsters They Want to Fuck. And so I started <laughs> going through those. One I have not been able to find is The Polar Bear King, which is apparently, like, a guy gets doesn't want to marry a witch, and she's like, well, if you don't marry, mm-hmm. marry me, then you can't marry anyone, because I'm going to make you a polar bear. Which... I mean, fair. Yeah, I mean, revenge body, you know? Yeah. And so then she turns him into a polar bear, and then he... I. He can't turn back to a person unless he, like, finds love, I think. I'm not sure, like, why. I don't know if he just accidentally falls in love or, like, it's like, well, even though you're a polar bear, like, you still have to get married or, you know, I don't really know. Yeah. But, um, oh, a girl ends up falling in love with him or a woman. And so then, like, they have to, like, deal with being, like, oh, but, like, you're a bear? Um, <laughs> but I haven't been able to find that one. It's It was not an English language movie or, mm-hmm. like, fairy tale it's based off of. But I did watch, yeah. like, five lousy remakes of Beauty and the Beast, and none of them do a successful job of, like, really making the male lead, like, likable. Like, you don't want her to be with him. Right. You just want her to, like, get out of there. And um, they're all very much the, like, what do you mean you like him now? Like, why? Why? Right. Like, a scene ago, you were running from him, and then now, like, you are, you're excited to be with him. So I, I really did appreciate that this took, you know, the woman and monster, but did it in a way that uh, I actually was rooting for them to be together. Yeah, and like it makes it makes the trajectory make sense mm-hmm. without yeah without taking away agency. Yeah, and it, it was I more of a satisfying like romantic story, which arguably these other movies are supposed to be because you actually see the re- relationship develop the whole time. And that kind of progression of different things. Yeah, so uh, anything else in particular that you wanted to say about the film before moving to the next section? No, I think I said everything I wanted to about fire sperm, so I think we're good. Yes. (laughs) That was really one of the main things I wanted to get out on this podcast. Fair, very fair. (laughs) Had to tell the world. (laughs) Think about the fire sperm, everybody. Mm -hmm. Just reflect. Just reflect on fire sperm. (laughs) The next section, Vera at Falso, or True and False, is where I typically talk about things that the movie got right and wrong. Obviously, this is a somewhat different situation than a lot of the things that I cover that are more standard historical fiction, in that this is very much fantasy, so to some extent they can really do whatever they want. 
but I did still, though, because that's the point of this podcast, want to note a couple of details that I found striking in regard to that. One is that I appreciate I actually looked up the history of puppetry and confirmed that puppetry does date back to a very, very long time ago. We've discovered material remains that we think are puppets from ancient Egypt. And there's written evidence talking about puppet shows from uh, uh, ancient Greece from the 5th century BCE. So like Aristotle and Plato talk about puppet shows at some point. So yeah, the puppets actually fit within its medieval style context. Although the one exception to that would be that these seem to be a type of puppets that I would characterize as flat figure puppets. Like they're not three-dimensional. And those seem to have become more of a thing in the 19th century. A more medieval style puppet would have been a more like 3D doll kind of puppet. But still, I appreciate that puppetry was a real thing. I also found the costumes really interesting, in particular the ones that you see the brides wearing at their wedding, or wedding slash being kidnapped by dragons. Um, Slash ritual murder. Right, their their wedding slash ritual murder. (laughs) In that they are, to some extent, their own thing and own design, but there are ways in which they look like they're inspired by a couple of different traditions, which are themselves probably to some extent related. One is that I spent some time looking at traditional Russian wedding outfits, and they actually do bear some similarity to those. So uh, I think to the, for this, that kind of thing, it's sort of hard to tell exactly how they uh, developed, because often we don't have that much material evidence of that kind uh, from the medieval world. But they certainly seem to be things that I think we actually have, like 16th, 17th century examples. Mm-hmm. And they were considered by then already to be a fairly traditional costume. So they probably do date back further. Yeah, that was one of the things that I messaged you about it, is that I was really excited to have it on as far as what you were going to show, was to hear about some of that, of the, the art style, style of the costumes. So that's interesting to hear, like, what that kind of comes from. Yeah, so that works for me. And the other analog that I noticed is that some of them do actually seem, the, uh, the headdresses in mm-hmm. particular, do actually seem to me like they have some connection to the kind of headdresses that you see in mosaic depictions of Byzantine empresses. So in particular, there's um, an amazing 6th century example that's found in the city of Ravenna in Italy that depicts the uh, Emperor Justinian and his wife Theodora with their retinues. And she's a pretty cool figure since she was an actress and, according to some sources, a prostitute who then ended up becoming the empress and becoming a pretty powerful figure. And uh, But we have this amazing mosaic of her, and she has this very, very elaborate headdress, which is kind of similar to these, actually. Is that so, with yeah. uh, Byzantine as your... Yeah. Um, I've, always, I've heard that term, but is, that, is it mainly where Italy is now? Is that where that was located? Or is that just where the mural was? Uh, that's just where the yeah that's just where the mosaics were so the center of the byzantine empire is actually constantinople which is now istanbul okay yeah because basically what happens is in the fourth century the roman empire becomes divided in half Mm -hmm. and the western half of the roman empire falls the eastern half of the roman empire doesn't it just keeps going Mm -hmm. and at various points they end up taking over parts of italy which had been part of the Western Roman Empire after that is no longer a going concern, but Arta do not keep a hold of that in any permanent way, and in fact, end up basically then being semi-conquered by the Italians at some point in the 13th century, but that's a different story. Okay, cool. Yeah, I never was really sure exactly where that was. 
Yeah, and the term Byzantine is actually a modern term, essentially, that we use because in their own time, they would have just said we're the Roman Empire. Mm -hmm. But historians feel like that's likely confusing because when people think of the Roman Empire, that's not what they think of. Mm -hmm. And so the term Byzantine is uh, comes from an older name for what became the city of Constantinople. And uh, so that then gets used. And then the city then comes to be named Istanbul at some point after it's conquered by the Ottoman Turks in 1453. Okay. Well, thank you. But yeah, yeah. so the Byzantine Empire lasts until then, so a full millennium, basically, after the Western Roman Empire, which is cool. Mm -hmm. There are also then a couple of things that, you know, again, it is fantasy, but in which they are not quite right on or that they clearly made up as opposed to drawing on real medieval sources in a super meaningful way. The first is a very just brief note that we see them walking on snowshoes at the beginning, and so I decided to look up the history of snowshoes. And while they would have had snowshoes in this region, going back uh, even much further than this, they would have been basically flat leather ones, whereas the ones that we see them walking on are these kind of webbed design, which is actually a North American, Native American innovation, which no one knew of or used in Europe anywhere until after they conquered the New World and then stole that from all the people they murdered. And then the ritual itself, I was trying to figure out if there were any medieval antecedents, and there's really not much. The idea of there being human sacrifice is certainly something that you find in some non-Christian medieval context. It, uh, and so in particular, the closest analog is probably that if that in the case of uh, sort of Viking elites who would die, they would sometimes end up basically killing off a slave, uh, a woman slave of his household, who would then be sent along with him into death. Mm-hmm. And this would often involve a ship burial, but like it would be like his ship burial and she'd be like put on his boat with him as opposed to getting her own boat. Or staying alive. Or staying alive, <laughs> yes, which would have been nice. That, that would have been the best situation, yeah. Would have been her, her not dying. Mm-hmm. That would have been cool. There were a lot of brides having ritual baths, okay. but not the same as being sent out into a lake either to die or not to die. They're, you know just more more normal bath Mm -hmm. and uh, the other thing just a quick note is that in comparison to a lot of the description of wedding feasts in particular so the ones that I was looking at in particular is that I was looking at some non-Christian examples including both uh, some uh, medieval Russian wedding practices many of which had a kind of combination of Christian elements and elements that are probably from pre-Christian polytheistic cultures and then also uh, Viking wedding rituals especially since there actually were Viking communities in what is now Russia and the Ukraine. And in fact, our best description of a Viking ship burial actually comes from that region as opposed to from Norway or, you know, as opposed to from Scandinavia. And so when I was looking around at those, one of the things that really sticks out as a big part of wedding traditions that does not show up in this movie is there is apparently so much alcohol, just like (laughs) so, so much, just everyone is supposed to be drunk. Like, it is officially basically considered part of the wedding feast for the bride and groom to get drunk. And I believe in the Russian ones, the bride even has a, this, after her ritual bath, which is before the wedding, she has this thing that's basically a bachelorette party. Oh. 
where she and some like women attendants all get super drunk and then she like gets married the day after that or two days after that whatever it is got it now this is a little bit off i didn't ask you this in advance so i don't know if you have an answer ready for it but um i mostly am aware of like dragon legends as more more as far as western europe was that mm-hmm. also a thing that was super like did Russia or Ukraine have their own dragon stories? And if so, like, did those vary or did they have, like, different type of mythological figures or did that kind of bleed over so it's hard to know what came from where? Yeah, so that's actually a perfect lead-in to the next section, actually, the Historia Veritas section, which is that, uh, which is that I want to actually talk in particular about uh, the legend of St. George and the dragon as being the most popular dragon legend, and in particular being one that is shared between Eastern and Western Europe. And yeah, because there, there does seem to have been some amount of back and forth, and as I said, this legend in particular seems to have been one that the earliest version is actually an Eastern European one. It seems to be, I think, a Georgian one uh, dating back to the 11th century. Oh and then gets popularized in Western Europe as well. And so St. George and the legend of him killing a dragon is, as I said, probably in the medieval world, at least the most popular dragon legend. And so this is somebody who was allegedly, at least I think there's some questions to some extent about his historicity, but allegedly at least a fourth century soldier who ends up becoming venerated as a saint and is also somebody who's really a crossover figure in terms of being extremely popular in a lot of different parts of the world. And so today, for example, he's actually the patron saint of uh, Georgia, Ethiopia, England, and Catalonia. Right. Yeah, and there actually is a, yeah, and there actually is kind of very sweet, actually, the uh, this St. George's Day in Catalonia, the Via de San Jordi, is actually a, like, valentine's day kind of thing although it's in april but where you have you exchange a book and a rose with your partner which i think is a really nice tradition and actually much cooler than valentine's day yeah and they have like book fairs in barcelona on the dia de san jordi which is awesome what what day is that uh april 23rd april 23rd okay let's do it yeah yeah yeah, should like do that as, as I, I really wanted to catch on in America as like better yeah. than Valentine's Day. Right? The weather's also nicer. Cool. The original stories about St. George didn't actually have the dragon in them, though, which is interesting because you oh. first start to have these legends about him that are just about him doing your kind of standard saintly miracles in the fifth and sixth centuries. And already by then, too, he's a figure who is uh, really popular in both Eastern and Western Europe, that, in fact, we have uh, Greek hagiographies of him dating back to the 5th century, but also Latin ones dating back to the 6th, which is something that kind of indicates that, you know, in both a kind of Greek-speaking and a Latin-speaking world, this is a popular figure. The story of him coming a dra- of him fighting this dragon is an 11th century one as i said but then in the western world really gets popularized in part by a text from the 13th century um, so this is this text called the golden legend which has an assortment of stories about saints including uh, ones that are featured in the new testament which is basically like bible fanfic a lot of it is basically stuff that people thought of as being part of the New Testament gospel narrative of the life of Jesus and the people around him, but is not in there at all. It's like just other stuff that was kind of legendary accretions that uh, kind of grew up. 
And to some extent, that's also happening with some of the saints, too, is that there's an amount of embellishment on other stories. So it describes the story of St. George and uh, talks about that he, that, you know, there's this city and uh, there's a dragon who's in this city and all over and all over the place is basically killing people. So it doesn't specifically initially have this concern about women, but that then comes up pretty quickly. So it says that there's an ordinance made in this town that the children and all of the young people should be gathered up and then basically they'll cast lots and anyone who the lots get cast on gets delivered to the dragon. So then one day the person who ends up getting put in that position is the king's daughter and the king is not happy about this and tries to basically bribe people to let them to let him keep his daughter and they all say no you're the one who made this law in the first place and all our kids died so now your kid has to die too. So he delivers his daughter, he talks about how upset he's going to be that he's never going to see her get married and then does what he's supposed to do. It actually then says, even in this too, that he arrayed his daughter like she should be wedded and embraced her, kissed her, and gave her the benediction and after led her to the place where the dragon was. That is pretty similar so, then. That's where the wedding murder dragon yeah. all comes together. Right. Yeah, and she's sitting and she's waiting for the dragon to eat her and then St. George shows up and he sees her and she says, like, what are you doing waiting here? And he says, you know, no. And she's like, oh, no, like, you should take off. The dragon's going to come. But then basically he insists on staying and killing the dragon and ultimately does. And because he has Jesus on his side and he makes the sign of the cross, he's able to uh, he's like able to kind of go forward and he stabs and hurts the dragon. He actually then tells the woman to uh, give me her girdle, her kind of fancy belt, and bind it about the neck of the dragon and be not afeard. When she had done so, the dragon followed her as it had been a meek beast and debonair. Mm. And then she led him into the city, and the people fled by mountains and valleys. And she said, alas, alas, and said, alas, alas, we shall all be dead. And then St. George is like, no, this is like proving that Jesus is a thing and that you should all believe in Jesus. And then they all agree to become Christian. Wow. So he really capitalizes on that to, like, frighten people into converting. Yep. And which is very much, like, common in the stories of 4th century saints is that this is a big period of, uh, it's relatively early in the history of Christianity. He was active in a period before the Roman Empire had embraced Christianity and therefore made it, I mean, at the time that he was alive, it was not even for, at least for part of his lifetime, at least Christianity was not actually even a legal religion. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, this, this is like the one time when Christians arguably were actually oppressed was in the lifetime of St. George. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so this is very much like a theme in the lives of these early saints is that they perform these miracles and these miracles inspire people to convert. One of the things that's really interesting, though, is that in this story, the woman plays at least a noticeable role that she's not the most active, she doesn't have a ton of agency, but she is at least a figure who is... uh, presented as at least being the kind of cause for action on his part and nothing else and that she does eventually to some extent participate in the kind of presentation of this miracle at least Mm -hmm. yeah she gets to be in charge of the dragon for a little bit right and she also tells him hey like maybe don't get hang around here and get snacked on so that's pretty cool of her yeah and one of the things however that's really interesting and a big contrast with this film is that 
when you look at your standard medieval paintings, this is true of both Eastern Western ones of St. George and the Dragon, it's all about St. George. Mm -hmm. And so you see him driving a spear through the neck of this dragon. She's either not in the painting or she's kind of shunted off to the side. Mm. And the foreground is all St. George killing the dragon and she's like off hidden somewhere. Now, does it end with her marrying anyone? Like the dragon or St. George? I believe she actually become, like becomes a nun or something. <laughs> oh, wow. She's so inspired that she never gets married. Yeah, which is not bad on the whole. Yeah. yeah. Good for her, going out of there. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, and at least some versions, I think she ends up becoming a nun because I think at some point there's like, oh, there's this like, oh, you rescued her, you should marry her, and he's like, no, because Jesus. Sure. Yeah. And I think she's also like, cool, yeah, Jesus. Mm-hmm. Good for her. Yeah. Wow. But yeah, it is also interesting that we have this narrative mm-hmm. in which a woman actually does play at least a very visible role in the life of this male saint in this like very spectacular episode and she then gets kind of cut out right so it's nice to see in this medieval representation of a dragon story that she in fact really has the central role in a lot of ways mm-hmm. yeah interesting wow do we know which side like who added the dragon first i know you said it was in there by like 11th century in eastern europe so is it probably from that side of things or Probably, yeah. That that's that's at least the earliest version that we have, and so based on manuscript evidence and things like that, most scholars think that it's a story that started in Eastern Europe and then moved west. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Cool. Everybody's got dragons. Yeah. Are there any other saints that killed like mythical creatures, or is it like Saint George gets to do that? He's the biggest one who really has this dragon element. There's uh, sometimes there's like a dragon thing that happens with Saint Michael, but that tends to be a little more of a kind of symbolic, like the dragon as like a demon or the devil. Oh, okay. And this is just literal, like you know, straight up. It was a male and a sheep. It was a big deal. Right. Yeah. Stabbed them. Yeah. A lot. A lot of the dragon stories that we have uh, seem to have been things that were very much inspired uh, by not entirely Christian mythologies. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, for example, Beowulf's a really good example of uh, this story that has a dragon is basically the kind of last monster and the one that ultimately defeats Beowulf after he kills the first two. That then he fights a dragon, and mm-hmm. it's an interesting poem in that it is one that clearly has some amount of Christian influence, but also... Uh, is very connected in a lot of ways to stories that probably are stories that are circulating in a pre-Christian period as well. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, I'll take it. Yeah, and dragons uh, dragons definitely get to some extent domesticated, mm-hmm. oddly, uh, to say by Christians as being these mythical creatures, but that specifically are mythical creatures that are easy to connect with the devil. Right, because there's the thing in Revelations where there's a dragon and it waves right. its tail and then a bunch of stars fall down. So right. they just like adopt the whole dragon thing. What about like unicorns or something? Like, is anyone like kissing? Oh, they love unicorns. Yeah. Oh, they love unicorns, because unicorns are metaphorically kind of Jesus. Yeah, but, like, are there any saints that, like, hang out with a unicorn? It tends to be not quite as much saints, but it's something that you see as this uh, symbol in a lot of vernacular romances, um, and it shows up a lot in in art as well as this kind of symbol of women's purity, (laughs) that they're able to get a unicorn to hang with them. I see, okay. And then once they get married, no more unicorns? 
So were unicorns just hanging yeah. out at, like, uh, nuns' monasteries all the time? Apparently, yeah. They just kind of, like, got these, like, like forests of, uh, of unicorns just, like, just chilling. Yeah. What if that was the test that people did to see if we, uh, were virgin or not? Was they just were, like, will this unicorn, like, like, unicorn like come. ride it? Or will it, like, mm-hmm. not let you touch it anymore? They'll be like, nah. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's this unicorn hunt tapestry, which for part of it, it treats the unicorn as just any kind of any normal animal. And then at the end is this weird thing where the unicorn sort of gets killed, but then at the end it's alive because it's also kind of Jesus. Oh, sure. So it got like unfairly killed, but then resurrected. Right. Well, I mean, I guess that's pretty on brand. Yeah. So unicorns are Jesus and pure maidens hang out with them. Yeah. All right. Well. Guess I can't argue with that. Yeah, you know. Okay, cool. But it does it does the the image of the unicorn did have some like crossover appeal mm-hmm. as well. That there was a Jewish usage of unicorns that seems to have uh, kind of ignored the Jesus thing. Which uh, there is somebody I know who's working on that a bit now, and I'd yeah. like to hear more about exactly. Yeah, what's there. I want to hear that. Should have yeah. them when they're done with their thing. Yeah, that's cool. All right. So, for our next segment, the Fabula Nostra section, this is an opportunity for us to talk about uh, what, perhaps, alternative movie we might make inspired by this one. Um, I mean, I really enjoyed it. I feel like Mm -hmm. the main change I would want to see would be, like, that sky sex, honestly. Mm -hmm. Just go for it. I want to know that they're having sex in the sky before, like, you know, once he's out for safety's sake, before they, like, actually land in the ocean or, like, hit the ground, he turns into a dragon, they do a cool swoopy thing, and they're just like, gosh, this is exhilarating, this is great. (laughs) So really just editing that ending scene, I think. Um, I mean, I think also having a horror version where she is, like, his, she is, like, (laughs) obsessed with him and is helping him, like, lure women to be, like, burned alive (laughs) so that they can, like, have more children. Like, she Mm -hmm. she goes crazy when she finds out that she can't, be, she can't have a child with him and like, mm-hmm. that is like the spiral it takes but yeah, I, it would be the intense like se- like horror sequel yeah this. well no I don't want it as a sequel because I would just be okay. sad if they like ruin this one but yeah. I, I think that would be like an interesting take on um, like someone a human pairing up with a magical creature or like if, yeah. you know and I feel like there's a little bit of that with some vampire stories of like they have like a human that's like interested in them and they'll you know help follow them or they'll, mm-hmm. but really like going all the way with that of like of them marine victims and like that obsession I think would be really interesting um, yeah but I think just having another movie kind of like this would just be really fun I really I really enjoyed it and just a little sexier I guess yeah. but yeah I'm pretty on board with it um maybe like if it was made remade like in America Gosh, it's kind of hard to think of like who I would want in it. There's so many people that would be weird choices. So yeah, I don't know. Maybe just do an American remake that's like on HBO or something, so it's a little hotter and heavier. Right. You know, it's hotter, hotter and heavier version, but it's mostly the same type of story. Um, right. I think let it let it have an earned R rating. Yeah, you know, just really go for it. Um, but that would really kind of be it. Yeah. What about you? 
I think the thing is that I I really, really liked the way in which I think this film did ultimately earn their relationship in a lot of ways mm-hmm. and developed it really well. I would, however, like to see a story that was connected to this kind of narrative, but that maybe didn't begin with a kidnapping. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that I'm kind of actually stealing my idea to some extent from a series that I read when I was a kid um, called uh, Dealing with Dragons. Oh, I really like that series, yeah. Yeah, by Patricia Reed, mm-hmm. but that I think that actually does basically begin, if I'm remembering correctly, or at least this is my idea and I think this is similar, that it begins with her basically showing up and kind of moving in with this dragon because she doesn't want to get married. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she's hoping that all the knights will get uh, burned up so she doesn't have to live with them anymore. Right, and so I think that would be an interesting take that she just kind of shows up and decides she's going to do that because she's like, Ugh, I'm supposed to marry this guy and he's uh, making this big deal of the fact that he's like the dragon, like the grandson of the dragon slayer, mm-hmm. but he's actually a huge wimp and I think that if I go and find a dragon that he's just in like hang out with the dragon that he's going to just wimp out. Yeah, no, I like that idea. Yeah, and so she does that but then have it similarly be something where she falls in love with him mm-hmm. and yeah, so I, I think that would be fun. Yeah, I like that. That just adds a little bit more agency to her. Yeah, and if I did the Ameri- if I did this in the United States as a remake, I uh, would go with my heart and my like feelings as I was watching this movie and realize that it actually does have to be Robert Pattinson. Mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not sure I'm happy about it, but it has to be. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I would watch it. You know, I would yeah. be like, oh, I can't believe they made this, and I'd go see it and I'd love it anyway. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think it'd be fun, and yeah. So yeah, so I'm kind of combining this movie and uh, dealing with dragons, although I think the dragon there is just like her buddy. I don't think it turns out to be a sexy dude. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, I think the one other piece that could be cool is having something where she gets to do some fighting. Like if there's some sort of, like there's some other like monster that is actually bad and she gets Mm -hmm. to like, like if he, she rode him as a dragon and then like used a lance to like stab like Right. Thing, or, you know, something like that could be cool of them, like, really yeah. teaming up. But, yeah. Or just her punching Igor in the face. Yeah! Kind of like, as like, she's getting lifted into the air by the dragon, she just, like, kicks them on their yeah. way. Like, get out of nice. I'd appreciate that. Yeah. yeah, I really enjoyed it. So, this now comes the time when we get to rate the film mm-hmm. on a scale of one to five. This can be based on any criteria that you want. So, I would say... I would give this a four out of five because it's not, or if I was, I use Letterboxd to, to mm-hmm. uh, track and rate movies. I think I would give it a three there, but I'd give it a heart. Like, it's like, okay. look, I know this isn't like award winning. I know this isn't groundbreaking. I mean, doing like that type of plot where it's not like creepy or like, you know, yeah. be abused. It's cool. Cause you're a woman. Um, that's kind of groundbreaking, but, um, it's not I wish it wasn't, but Right. But it's it's not so so unique or uh you know, so well done where there's this it deserves like a four or five rating, but I'd give it like a three with a heart. Yeah. Because you can like favorite movies. So movies are like, this mm-hmm. is amazing, but like I really I this would be something I'd watch again for fun. That would be the rating yeah. I would give it would be a three and a heart. But if there's no heart, I'd give it a four because I think that it's, I really enjoyed it. I've seen it twice. I'll probably see it again at some point. I genuinely, I genuinely enjoyed this. I was impressed by the extent to which this 
remained her story and gave her agency mm-hmm. and is like a nice love story. I'm ultimately going to give it a three, and that's in part, I would say, because uh, this is ultimately a medieval history focused podcast. Mm-hmm. And I think this movie could have, I think it would have been interesting to, like, I think it's really interesting when fantasy draws on medieval realities in very kind of deep and interesting ways. I always find that fun. Mm -hmm. It's not a prerequisite for fantasy, obviously, and I like plenty of fantasy that doesn't do that, but it's something that for me as an expert in this really enriches the world building aspect Mm -hmm. when I can get that sense of, uh, of it having these kind of connections to a real world. And I think maybe they could have done a little, like, they could have, like, done a little more than that. That this feels like a very fantastical realm and is kind of hard to connect it in meaningful ways with anything beyond a kind of folkloric uh, fairy tale sort of realm. That makes sense. Yeah, so that would be something that I I would have especially been excited to see would have been that. And so by virtue, really, just of this being a kind of history-focused podcast... I'm going to knock it down to a three. All right, that's fair. So are there places where the listeners of Media Evil could find you on the internet if they so desire? Well, yes. First off, I would like to uh, tell you where to find this movie on the internet. Because I would oh, love yes, for more absolutely. people to see it. Um, and it is right now on Tubi TV, T-U-B-I TV, which is a free app and website that will put in like a couple of commercial breaks, but really not that many. And it's also on IMDb TV free, which is another free one with commercials. So you can search on it in like Amazon Prime and then it'll right. take you to like the IMDb TV version. So everyone can see it for free. So go see it. And it's not very long and it's very pretty. So go for it. Um, as for me, I am, I mean, I'm in the Facebook group. So if uh, anyone listens in there in the group and they're like, oh, Christine Fredrickson, are there two of those? And only one of them's in the group, and it's not the one on the podcast? No, that's me. Um, you put the pieces together. I don't really use Twitter, but on Instagram, my name is Momo and Christine. M-O-M-O period and period Christine, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-E. And I would say three quarters of it is pictures of just Momo, my little dog. He's like eight pounds and very cute. Um, and then occasionally I'll be in a picture or I'll have a picture of me, like, taking a selfie in a new dress or, like, me with a friend. But it's almost all my dog. Um, so if you like little fluffy dogs, I probably post pictures like, a couple times a week of him. And I can confirm that he's very cute, having seen him in uh, while recording as well as photos previously. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe in your preferred podcatcher app, and please rate and review Media Evil on Apple Podcasts. And I will read all new five-star reviews in future episodes. It's been a little while since I've had one, so I don't have one to read in this episode. So if you are listening, please take that as inspiration to write us a review. Please also follow the podcast on Twitter at Media Evil Pod, and join our Facebook group, which you can find by searching Media Evil. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sarah If Ducker. The Twitter occasionally has historical comments, and the Instagram is almost entirely pictures of my dog and cat. <laughs> so if you're interested in more pet pictures, all sorts of opportunities. If you have any questions or suggestions, I would also love to hear from you via email at media.evilpod at gmail.com. Are there specific types of like questions that you're looking for, or like what... 
what kind of things do you want from people? I've actually been thinking, that's a good, actually, opportunity for me to say, I've been actually thinking about, uh, this can be the formal announcement, I've been thinking about instituting an Ask a Medievalist segment. So if you have any questions about medieval history, please feel free to shoot me an email and I will answer your questions about uh, about the medieval world on the podcast. Cool. Let's do it. Yeah. So, all right, Christine, thank you so much for guesting and for introducing me to this movie, which is a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun to talk about. Yeah, definitely. And uh, thank you all for listening to Media Evil. Bye. Bye. Почему они поют такой неплохой? Чтоб напомнить, что дед его был дракона бойцем. Сагитан, Сагитан.